Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Roker Report podcast in association with Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav. Back after the summer break, we've been away for a while, as you all know, hence why your podcast feeds haven't refreshed, but don't worry, we're back, we're here to annoy you even further, here to give you some terrible opinions we'll probably regret down the line, and as always, joining me to give those terrible opinions is Chris. Hiya, mate. Hello, Gavin. Good to be back. Yes, it is. I wonder wonder how many people realised we haven't been around. We've had at least four tweets, at least four, (laughs) and one email, and... And a bloke at work asked us as well. So oh, there you go. There's, what, there's at least five or six people who actually cared. That'll do. Which is nice, isn't it? That'll do. So yeah, a lot's gone on, Chris, since we last talked. And what I thought I'd do is I'd run through everything that's happened since we last recorded, just to bring the listeners up to speed, just to bring me and you up to speed, because as people know by now, our memories are shocking. Um, so <laughs> I'm hoping that by reading through this list, it actually prompts us to talk about a few things today. So starting from the top, <clears throat> and I'll clear my throat, and Sean, feel free to speed this up. We lost to Luton in the playoff semi-final second leg. We cried about it. We got over it. Carl Winchester got released. Rumours started that we might sack Tony Mowbray. Rumours turned out to be a load of bollocks. Edouard Misha returned back to Paris as we opted not to sign him. Ahmad went back to Man United and teased us all summer about a return. Joe Gelhart left and Christian Speakman did an interview chatting about the successes of the season. Kelde and Sartori bought Donald out and he finally fucked off. We signed four players, Nekla Triantis, Jensen Sealt, Joby Bellingham and Hemia. Jack Clark was linked all over the gaffer, hilarious fees. Bailey Wright had an emotional departure as he headed to Singapore. Dennis Serkin and Trey Hume signed new contracts. The fixtures were released. And we got Ipswich first up live on Sky. Leon Diaco left to join Hadjuk Split. Loads of Bairns signed new deals, including Chris Rigg. We were and still are a shit show off the pitch. From delayed kit releases to botched attempt to hand the club shop over to a local company that the club quickly changed their mind about. And a complete lack of clarity over the new digital ticketing system that still nobody has a clue about because the club are coy on what information they release. Pre-season started. We played two games in one day, beating Shields and Gateshead, both of which ended in high scoring affairs. Beat Shields 4-3 and then beat Gateshead 3-2. Players then jetted off to the States for part two of pre-season. Danny Bart was linked to Blackburn. We had an approach from Man United goalkeeper, knockback uh, Nathan Bishop. We were linked with a Croatian striker, Matija Friggan. We were linked with an 18-year-old forward from Sochaux called Eliza Mayenda. And we played San Antonio in near 40-degree heat and won fairly comfortably 3-1. 
and breathe. Did I miss anything there? And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> I don't think I missed anything. But yeah, I mean, considering not much usually happens during the off-season for Sunderland, that's a pretty pretty extensive list of uh, of things which have happened, really. It's been unusually active when it as, as far as it goes for Sunderland pre-seasons anyways and off-seasons. I feel like we've we've been pretty busy still. We've been kept abreast of different things going on. I mean, if I go right back to the top of what I said there, starting with losing against Luton and then sort of crying about it, getting over it, it was not that long after really the the, the season officially ended that we started seeing the club make moves. We were signing players left, right and centre. And I mean, four players in by June, I think that's unheard of, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was in the first three or four weeks, wasn't it? And it's amazing to think as well that, you know, when you talk about the extension to the season, so we kind of lost, what, a fortnight or maybe two or three weeks when everyone else finished their season. And we still had that question mark over, you know, were we going to get to the final? Were we going to be a Premier League club? And how much did that change the targets? But we clearly had a couple of lists or maybe... You're looking at the age of the players that we've signed. Obviously, you know, Triantis and Seal to a 20-year-old, Bellingham 17, Hamea 19. You wonder if the list actually changed at all. You know, would they, these four have been signed regardless of what happened? You know, whether we'd made it to the final and scraped through. I, I would not have been surprised if we'd signed the same players and we just said, nope, this is who we want to progress and this is who we want to buy in and, and take forward. Because we got it sorted that quickly. I'd be amazed if they were just kind of you know, doing everything from scratch then, those deals will have been, they'll have been talked about as we were playing in the playoffs because they only happened a week or two later. So the, the club were clearly prepared and they knew their targets because to get those four wrapped up in the first four weeks was was pretty good business. And at the minute, it, it's kind of four in and four out. And and yeah, with, with the amount of contracts as well, you're talking about being busy. Obviously, the, the big ones were kind of, obviously, Chris Rigg getting a deal, Dennis Serkin until 2026, Hume until 2027, and then you had Adam Richardson, Ben Middlemass, uh, Marshall Burke, Oliver Bainbridge, Harrison Jones, Joe Ryder, Henry Fieldson, Ethan Moore, Harry Gardner. There might have been a few more. But all these young kids, you know, we, how much have we whinged in the past about, you know, some of these players heading off to here, there and everywhere because we didn't nail them down. And the club have been not just busy in getting the first team squad strengthened, but nailing all those young'uns down as well. I mean, we have lost a couple. I don't think it's been officially announced, but I think... Mason Koch has left and he made a couple of squads last season and I know there was a, a young kid called Toby Bell, goalkeeper from the under-15s. He's gone to Chelsea, I think. We are still going to lose players. We're, we're taking players from other academies. It's going to happen. But what it feels like at the minute is that it's we're a lot less vulnerable than we've been in the past when it comes to recruiting young players and keeping young players in the team. So something I banged on about quite a lot last season, really, I trust the people running the football side of the club now don't trust the people running the stuff off the pitch a great deal. <laughs> but the, the football inside of things, you know, I trust them a great deal. So if they think that signing these lads is is a benefit to us and Diaco went and we let Bailey Wright go and stuff like that. But, you know, if we if if, if we decide to sell a big player, I trust them. Mm. I, I believe it's for the right reasons. It's for the good of the club. Nobody's lining the pockets off the back of it. Ultimately, we're going to recruit good players to replace them eventually and we'll be fine. And everything I've seen from certainly Bellingham and, and Hamia in pre-season, the games I've watched them in in pre-season, suggests that we've signed two good young players. So I'm honestly I'm not 
I'm not like stuff like that doesn't phase me. I'm I'm quite happy with the business we've done. The only other thing I would I would like to add to that is coming out of the season, the players that we've let go. There's hardly anybody left the club. I I can't remember that being the case for a long long time where we've got to the end of a season and there hasn't been like a, a big bunch of first teamers going out the door. There's only Carl Winchester of the of the out of contract players who who left who was a first teamer and and he was only a first teamer in League One. He was wasn't part of the squad last year. We've let Bailey Wright go. He wasn't going to play. So I think that was always going to be on the cards. Leon Diakio the same. So like I say, I, I, I trust everything they've done and I trust them going forward as well. Well, you obviously have the, the loan players as well who, who have gone out the squad, who were kind of big first teamers. I mean, you look at mm-hmm. how many games mm-hmm. Mishu and especially Ahmad, you know, how many games he played and the impact he had. So they're almost like players who have left, you know, first team players who have left and need replacing. But as you said, I mean, it's a sign of how we've, in the last two years that we've had Speakman and his, his team in charge of the recruitment, that we've trimmed the fat and we've sorted the contract out. So we'll look at the squad at the end of the season and it was ready to do recruitment with. It wasn't, it, you know, how many times during the, our League One, you know, in, the, in those four years where we got to the end of the season, but our squad was so bulky with players we couldn't get rid of that it was a struggle to get players in. This season, our squad was in a perfect position to be able to fill those gaps as soon as the season yeah. finished. But I've made this point as well about players going out. I mean, you've said it there and I completely agree. All the rumours about any of our players, and I know that might come on to it, but the big one's obviously Ross Stewart, but you know Jack Clark's been linked away. Uh, Dan Ballard was linked away. I think West Ham was a big link and you know we'll see where that goes. It might, might still happen, who knows. But you know, all those top players that were fantastic for us last season, young lads, you know, like Clark, like Ballard, well, Ross Stewart as well, but that's a different situation. I don't I don't mind. And and it does not faze me one little bit. There was a time when I didn't trust the club on recruitment. And if you I mean, just go back to Josh Maggio, that's probably the best example you could bring up with, with that sort of situation where you lose a good player. And you don't trust the club to recruit well and replace that player. So you're actually you come out of a transfer saga better off. But even if we mm. even if we lose Clark, he's a fantastic player. Even if you know whoever it might be in this squad, and we've got some cl- great players that I, I want to, them to all to stay at the club. Fantastic young young talents we've got. But if the left, I completely trust Speakman and his team to have someone on the list who'll say, "Yep, yeah, brilliant. He's gone. Fine. Move on." Bring this lad in; he'll do the business, and and I think that that's the way we work. And I've got no hang-ups about any of our squad. I, I, don't get us wrong; I love our squad. I love all the players in it, all especially all the kind of the forward players we've got. But I, I just I just think we're in such a good place where we've got a list of targets, and if someone leaves, we'll probably bring someone in. And and this might anger some people, but we'll probably bring someone in for for not as much money. Like we'll probably spend half the amount of money that we bring in, but a player who is either just as talented to start off with or in a year or two will be just will be at that level so that's the way we work and i think it's great and i think that's at a club at our level and you've got to remember where we are you know as big as as big as we all think Sunderland football club is and we know what a, the potential of it but we're still you know just come up from league 1 we've had one very good season in the championship but, you know, we're getting them. We've got to build something. We've got to stick the foundations in or else we're going to end up just bobbing around, you know, and come, going backwards and forwards like we've done for, well, can't even remember how long, far too long. So, 
Look, so, I'm I'm comfortable and I'm happy with the way they're doing things, and I just hope that they get the chance to to keep continuing doing what they're doing. Yeah, and and I I remember back to when um when Mishu when it was confirmed he wasn't staying, and obviously there was a bit of backlash. People couldn't understand why we wouldn't sign him. And then you watch this preseason, just the start of it, and in place of Mishu, we've signed Bellingham, who's a lot younger, physically more adept. You know, you look at him, you can't believe he's seventeen physically. He is a man. He's big. He's wide. He's rangy. He's got good feet. And then below him, you've got Chris Rigg, who's just this revelation, sixteen-year-old. To me, I would, I, I prefer the way the club have gone with this. As much as I like Michu, I think when you look at the players that we've got in there now, you, you've got to, you've got to say that you know the good players are they ready to play in the championship? We don't know, but they're going to get the chance. That's the important thing, you know. Dan Neal is a first name on the team sheet, but then that other midfield berth, Pierre Ekwas being a good performer in pre-season and at the end of last season was fantastic. We've got options. Jamie Tetley is still hanging around. You never know what's going to happen with him. He he might be kept around because Corey Evans, Corey Evans is going to be out a little while. So to me, I'm not worried. I look at the team and I just think we've got strong options in every position other than up front where we've only got one player really. You can sort of discount Ross Stewart until he's fit and that we, God knows when that's going to be because the injury he got one of the worst you can get and expecting him to come back and perform even this year might be a miracle same with Evans we'll probably do another goalkeeper because we've let Bass go other than that you know I'm looking at it and I'm thinking well this is a strong squad We, you just think of those games we played the first two and we'll come on to these in a bit but South Shields and Gated, we were able to split the squad in two and that was with players injured that was with the likes of um, Triantis not available yet because of his international duty Seals still hasn't been seen We've got players ready to come back in the next few weeks from injury. Serkin's another one. And we were still able to split the squad. I actually think we're in a pretty strong position. And I can't remember the last time we were in this position, if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, you bang on about that midfield. I mean, you look at Dan Neil and Eck were both 21. I mean, let, let's just say, for instance, I mean, let, it might not be, who knows, in Mowbray's head. But let's say, for instance, Dan Neil and Eck were at the minute are in Mowbray's head, the kind of pairing he's going to go with against Ipswich. Might not be, but let's say there is. Those two are 21-year-old. And then, like you said, you've got Matete backing that up. And then you've got, as you said, Bellingham and Chris Rigg behind that. And if you're talking about pathways, you know, Chris Rigg hasn't signed that contract to not be involved for the next three or four years. Look in pre-season. I mean, yeah. the, the impact he's made already in pre-season, a few games. And Chris Rigg looks, if somebody just watched Sunderland for the first time, They'd look at this lad and think, oh, well, you know, he's he's one of the he'll be one of the best midfielders, or he'll be around that first team squad, or even the starting eleven. And Bellingham played twenty odd games, twenty two games or something last season for for Birmingham in the in the championship, and he yeah. he hasn't joined us to play between ten and fifteen. That's not going to be his target this season. His target as a developing seventeen year old who's just played twenty odd games in the championship is to play more. He hasn't left Birmingham to, um, to, play a few to just sit on a warm hour bench. Exactly. You know? He's obviously been given promises, hasn't he? Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about competition. Neil's going to be one of the first names on the T-sheet. Ekwa looks fantastic. Bellingham's going to expect to play 25, 30 games next season. That's going to be his target. Um, is yeah. is looking all right. I'm glad. It's actually quite good to see him back in the fold. I think he looks busy. I think he could be useful. Um, how much he'll want to sit on the bench, though, because he'll look at those three... And think, well, if those three are ahead of us, Matete might say, well, actually, I want to get off for first-team football. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with Matete. 
the start of the season. But Chris Rigg, I mean, you can imagine his target now is going to be to start to get like double figures or something in terms of games he's going to start this season. So you talk about pathways, you know, you look at our squad and you look at kind of how many centre-halves we've got, how many full-backs, wide players. As you said, it's only the, that striking position where if you keep adding players to that, you're going to then kind of hinder the likes of Bellingham, Rigg, um, Sealed, Triantis, or Lise even, if we play them at the back, in the middle. You're going to kind of hinder these players getting more game time if you if you even add too many players to the squad. So looking at the balance of the squad, I mean, maybe in a, another attacking midfielder, you know, to play behind a striker, if we're going to play one behind a lone striker rather than two up front, or we might bring in two or maybe even three more strikers to play two up top and have partnership next season. So, yeah, that, that's the only place I can really see us strengthening. Yeah, we definitely need numbers still. I'm not I'm not saying we don't. Like to me let, let's talk about Ross Stewart. To me, with Ross Stewart, as brilliant as I think he is, and I love him, he isn't you've got to sort of write off the first half of the season. He isn't going to be back anytime soon. Like I say, he'd be lucky to be back this year. And even when he is back, he's gonna to have to basically go through a mini preseason. He's gonna to have to build up his minutes playing for the reserves because he's had so long out. It's not just something he can recover immediately. He's he's going to need time we might as well pretend he's not here we need to pretend he's not here we've basically got one striker which is a young kid we've brought in from abroad who's not going to be expected to lead the line immediately so we've got to go out and sign a proper striker now who can replace Ross Stewart on top of that we already needed a third choice so two strikers are going to have to come in in this window we can maybe afford to wait a little bit for that second one towards the end maybe a loan deal for a young kid from a Premier League team or something I agree with you about the attacking midfield positions. I mean, providing we don't sell anybody in Touchwood, we don't. We still haven't really replaced Ahmad. So you need to bring in somebody with a bit of quality who can either play, you know, off off the right, I would say, or, or maybe as a 10. Happy with the midfield options. I'm happy with the fullback options. I think we're strong there. You know, if Niall Huggins stays fit, he's going to play games yeah. because he's looked all right in preseason. He's looked really good. And he played in that Gateshead game, he played mainly in centre mid. So he, he's versatile. He can play centre mid, left back, right back, wing back if we decide to go with a with a wing back system. So Niall Huggins is back in the fold. Serkin's going to be fit soon. Elise might be fit more towards the start of the season or into the first few weeks of the season, we hope. Uh, Hume's about. Gucci has been playing. So full-back, we're fine. And I think centre-half, we're fine. You know, I don't want to say Danny Bartley. I know that's been rumoured. I know um, he's been linked heavily with a move to Blackburn because he's in the last year of his deal and maybe the club feel like it might be a good time to let him go and, and get himself a decent contract somewhere. But from what we read about Blackburn, their owners have put a complete uh, freeze on players coming into the club. And that's probably going to hamper his chances of that happening. And I don't think he'd be short of suit, as I think there's plenty of clubs who would love him. But I would love him to stay here. You know, it's easy to forget he got player of the season last season, Danny Bart. I know he's a little bit older, and I know we've signed a few centre-halves and, and what have you, but I would keep him around. I think he's a fantastic player. He stays fit. He, he never puts a foot wrong. He's, he's very dependable. So if you think he stays, you've got him, Sealt, who's uh, obviously going to need a bit of time. Triantis, who's going to need a bit of time. You've got Ballard back fit. Hopefully he can stay fit. Luke O'Neill, who I think this week came out and said he sees himself as a centre-half now, a proper centre-half. Agiolisi, again, who I mentioned before, can play either left-back or centre-half. Uh, Joe Anderson, another one who is easily forgotten. He, he might well leave towards the end of the window on loan, but as, at the minute he's one of our players. He's in the squad. Really healthy there. 
in goal we're not. We need to replace Alex Bass with somebody. I'm not really bothered who that is, if I'm honest, because they're, they're only going to be second fiddle to Patterson and Touchwood, he doesn't get injured. I would like us to bring in... I like the fact we've been linked with this kid from Man U because that's the type of sign I would like to see us make. I wouldn't like to see us sign a player like Bass again. You know, somebody who's 24, 25, who's played in the lower reaches. And a, a player from an academy of a top team who, should Patterson get injured, could step in, I'd be over the moon with that. So I definitely think we need to sign one goalkeeper. But what have I listed there, really? A, a, an attack midfielder, a goalkeeper, a couple of strikers? Uh, if we're four players, that, that's no really, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I say, I, I think we're in a crapping position just to keep keep it going. And and you've the other the other thing I'd like to touch on as well quickly before I finish is the is a point I don't think enough people talk about is that we signed players last year, young lads who just played around the fringes: Abdullah Bar, Ekwar, Bennett to a degree, Anderson you could say, um, Huggins. I would probably put in this category, even though he's been here a little bit longer. You know, there's another one, Lee Hadji, who's another one who's been linked with a move away, but he's not been here very long. But they've had that time to bed in now. Now is the time where you look at them and you think, you are first team players now. You need to be pushing the lads ahead of you properly. I want to see Bennett starting games. I want to see Equa running midfield and being the first name on the team sheet. Like, I want to see these things. So there's that as well. You sort of gave them a pass last year and you discounted them a little bit. You know, yeah, well, they're in the squad, but they're not going to start many games. Well, now they have to really prove their worth and, and prove why they were brought here. And to me, that just means the squad is very strong, very competitive at this moment. Even the likes of Ekwe, you can add to that list. I mean, 21, he played a handful yeah, yeah, of games. Him, yeah. he, he came he came in mm-hmm. January. But, I mean, you're talking about the position we're in now and it's, what, probably just over halfway through the summer and like we said earlier, in the first three or four weeks, we kind of improved the spine of the squad. So Triantus sailed at the back, Bellingham in the middle and Amir up front. And we did that straight away, not just kind of strengthening in numbers along the spine of the team, but all four of them, big units, like they're all massive. Yeah. At times, how many times did we say last last season we got bullied away? And I think there was a well, there was a couple of games. Probably would have got promoted, wouldn't we? If yeah. we had, had a few giants for that playoff run, but yeah, know. a couple of t- a couple of games we got bullied away from home. Like and that Luton one, like you mm-hmm. said, that that's a perfect example. But we've got four players right down the middle of the pitch, and we got it sorted in three or four weeks. Big units. It was clear what we missed last season, and we got that sorted early. And don't forget, now we've got what is it? It's uh, what two and a half weeks till the start of the season. But then you can add what another. Three weeks on that, so you've got, what, five and a half weeks until the deadline shuts? So the Speakman and, and his team's not going to be thinking, right, we've got to bring players in in the next two and a half weeks. Okay, that's the ideal situation. Don't get us wrong. The ideal situation is you have your squad ready for the opening day of the season. But that no club is ever in that position. We've seen, how many times have we seen towards the end of the summer deadline when in the last few days, dominoes just start falling when one deal happens 10 others happen within hours of that one being finalised. And the same will happen with this one. I mean, how how long did we wait? I'm sure it was kind of late in the day when we loaned Ahmad last season. So because Manchester United were probably waiting yeah. on what deals they could do, what their squad looked like, last minute they thought, yeah, no, that's fine. Ahmad can go out. And we got a, we got a crack and player on loan for the season. So I can see them doing the same again. We're in a good position. We've got a decent squad. We know we need strengthening. We know we need numbers in, in certain positions. I would not be surprised if a few days out from the, the end of the window, we suddenly loaned a cracking player from a top side 
who we've been tracking for, through yeah. the summer. And we've just, you know, we've probably notified some of these top clubs saying, look, we're interested. Just let us know when you've finished your business, whether we can we can take them for the season. And there's probably a few players that we've got on hold like that, waiting to see what happens. And and yeah, I fully expect us to be going right till the end of the window with this. Any thoughts on the players who've left? Bailey Wright, Carl Winchester, Leon Diakou? Not expected any of them to make any sort of impact going forward. Nah, but, you know, especially in the case of Wright and Winchester, big characters. They all make sense. I mean, look, I think Winchester and Bailey Wright's biggest assets while we're in the championship, I think it was different when they were in, in League One, but in the championship, their biggest assets are, are off the pitch. And, yeah. you know, that Bailey Wright and Winchester are very good League One players. And I think in the championship, they're, they're not as good. You look at the players we're bringing in and they're not of that standard. And it's a shame. They're good lads. Bailey Wright, go, that, that Sheffield Wednesday playoff game, I don't think we'll forget that in a hurry. And, you know, everyone's grateful. And, you know, it was fantastic to have him at the club when we did. He helped us get out of the League One. But um, the club's moving on. And uh, I, I think all of them make sense. Bass, you know, fair enough, get first-team football. He spent a season, you know, getting splinters in his backside. Fair, fair player. <laughs> um, uh, and Diago, yeah, he, he, he looked like he kind of struggled from the off, didn't he? He, he never really seemed to... Kind of hit a stride, bit unlucky here and there, but yeah, no, all, all four completely make sense to me. Yeah, I I listened to a podcast the other week, uh, Luke O'Nine's podcast that he does on performance coaching with young players and stuff, and they, they did an episode on captains, and he he named Bailey Wright as the it was it was Bailey Wright, Troy Deeney, and I forget the name of the guy who was his captain at Wickham, but. That fella, anyways. Th- those were the three that Luke O Nine pinpointed. But it was interesting listening to him talk about Bailey Wright. He said he, he, you know, a fantastic leader, fantastic captain, knew how to get the lads up for it and all the rest of it. And yeah, I do worry about you know losing players like that. But at the same time, I think well, in a in a thriving club with a with a healthy culture, what will happen when a big leader leaves? Someone will step up. Someone will see that opportunity and they'll be like, now's my chance to become a leader. And that's what should happen in this in this instance. If you know, player like Bailey Wright leaves, Corey Evans probably won't be far behind him. You know, in a year or so, you'll probably see him go. Someone else is going to take the captaincy. You've got Lyndon Gooch starting to wear the armband and and really thriving wearing it. Danny Bart's done it. O'Nine's wore it. To be honest, it's a and this is something Luke O'Nine talked about a little bit on that podcast. Really, you know, the the armband. It's a bit of a gimmick, really. You know. What you need is a, a team full of leaders who who all stand up to be counted, but at the same time, like I say, you've you've got to you do have to acknowledge we've lost a couple of big characters there. Pe- people that you know, people that the club love. You you've got to bang on. The the biggest strengths are definitely off the pitch rather than on it. We sort of just have to move on, don't we? I think in in their absence, players have got to got to step up. Yeah, and you can add you can probably add Dan Neil that bracket of players who you know stepped up a lot last season because. You talk about you talk about those players like Evans and you know D- Danny Bart had periods of last season where he had injuries, suspensions that he was out for for a fair few games last season. But then you look at how old our our players were. You know when we went to Preston on the last day, when we went to West Brom, Burnley away. I mean I can't remember the exact lineups, but you know you're talking about those games, how young our lineups were, and people talking about people stepping up the whole. All of them stepped up in games like that. And and to do that last season in pretty much what was the first full season for a lot of them at that level, 
you know, they're, they're already doing it. So they're, they're already stepping up, all of them. We were under pressure at place, under pressure at West Brom early on, pre- under pressure at Preston early on, and they all came out of those periods and stood up and kind of took the game to the opposition. And, and that's part of it. And you can tell regardless of having a Bailey Wright on the pitch or, a, you know, even a, you know, a Corey Evans last season, I think as much as the recruitment is looking at talent, I think with the way they do things now, they're looking as much of the character of these players as they are, how good they are on the pitch. And they're bringing in these players who are strong mentally. And you can tell, it shows. It shows some of the tough games we had last season. It's already shown. And and now that, as you said, they're getting their feet under the table and they're settled. they've had a year under their belts. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing them taking on to the next level this, next season. It should, should be interesting. Just quickly though, you, you, before, I, d- I didn't kind of mention you talked about Ross Stewart um, when you touched on that. I, I don't think I mentioned it. Just talking about him leaving, you know, 26, 27-year-old. And, and to be fair to him, he was kind of knocking around, you know, Ross County for donkeys. And he was knocking around the arse end of Scottish clubs for kind of the first part of his career. And it's only been for the last two and a half years when he came to us that he's kind of started growing at his play and his profile's got bigger. And this is his last big contract. And... Fair play to him because this, he wants this to set him up for, I mean, he's thinking about the end of his career with this contract. You know, if he signs a four-year contract, that takes him up to 30-31. And he's had he's had a couple of injuries last season. So, you know, as much as the, the club are looking after themselves, the player's looking after himself. So you can see why it's a, it's a tough negotiation. And, you know, if he decides to leave and he, he takes a, a bigger payday, Fair play to him. I think he's, you know, at, at that age, you know, looking after himself, he's got to think about himself long term and his family or whatever situation that is. We'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully he'll stay. But again, if he doesn't, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if we put two or three strikers in. That, that'll do the business. Who's going to buy him, though, when he's injured? That's what I keep well, thinking. You know what will miff me off? It'll miff me off if he joins another championship club. Because what will be the point? Yeah. I, I mean... Unless he gets Lord more money, as, as good you know, as good as he is, as much as we love him, and you know, perfect what you just said there about the contract situation, he's injured, and he's not likely to be fit anytime soon. So who's going to buy him? In the, in the, I, I just can't see it. Can you imagine Stoke, like the teams who are being linked with them, Stoke, Southampton, that ilk of club? If they are really interested in Ross Stewart, are they going to pay big money for a player who isn't going to be fit this year? No, it's not going to happen. No. He's going nowhere. Yeah. He's going nowhere for now anyways. You know, if he gets fit, let, let's say, I don't know, let's say he's fit in December, has a really good month, hits the ground running, January rolls around. Yeah, I can see it happening then. But like, I, I, I just keep thinking about the past couple of transfer windows, whenever his name's been mentioned in the papers, it's clearly agent-led bullshit, linking him with clubs who were never going to buy yeah. him. And I think this is the same case. I think when you're hearing Ross Stewart's name in the papers, it, it's his agent just trying to drum up interest, trying to, I don't know, force the club's hand. I, I, I don't know what. Yeah. I just can't see it. I, if he was fit, I could. I think he'd be gone. But at the minute, you know, <laughs> he's had a very serious injury. It's not like he's recovering from a from a broken toenail or a, yeah. you know, a, yeah. a, it, it, it's it's his Achilles. It's a, it's one of the most serious injuries you can get. Well, he's been out. He used to end careers 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a long time to be out, yeah? And it, you just look at it and you think, as good as he is, is anybody going to pay big money for an injured player? No. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and the only, the, the type of team where I think he might get, if he wants that payday, 
then the type of team he's going to be looking at to get that massive jump in terms of his wage bracket, it's going to be the likes of, you know, Sheffield United, even Luton. Yeah. You know, someone who's just gone up or or even even someone like Everton. Everton need a striker. They're kind of a bit desperate. They're looking for trying to recruit. You know, so, someone like an Everton or, you know, I'm just looking. I mean, uh, Burnley seem to be going down a different path. Bournemouth. You know, someone like that, that type of Premier League club. If he's looking for a payday, that'll be the type of club he's looking at. Not not a Stoke or a Middlesbrough or something like that. No. And no. and then, no. like you said, all these clubs, are they going to risk 10 million, 12 million, 15 million on a player who hasn't played since January? There's going to be no chance they're going to take that risk, especially, especially the championship clubs have railed off. There's going to be no way they'll spend that money on a player who hasn't played since January. And let's not forget, he was only fit for about a month and then got injured again. He was out for a big... He was out from sort of the end of August, wasn't he? Yeah. Till, till I can't remember when he came back. Was He scored against Hull. I can't remember whenever that was, but it was a few months. He's, you know, he's, Middlesbrough, start of September, wasn't it? Yeah, First yeah. game in September. And then, and then yeah, he lasted... He, he was out for, for a good while, for a good month or two, and then came back for a few. And then he was out, like I said, for, for the rest of the season. So... Like I said, who's going to risk that money on a player who hasn't played for, for seven months? And by the time he gets back, like you said, he's not going to be back, you know, first team football till probably October at the earliest. And then you're, mm. talk, then you're talking nine months out. So who's going to spend 10, 15 million on a player who hasn't played that for that long? On a player who's played 13, 14 games at championship level? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, before that, he just played in League One in Scotland. I don't think it's going to happen. I think what people need to do and I'll certainly be doing this, is whenever you see these news reports <laughs> with Ross Stewart's name in, question who's given the news to these reporters, question the outlets who are coming out with it. It's normally always the Sun or the Daily Record, both Shock. newspapers who are famed from for getting the, particularly Alan Nixon, for getting their information from agents. It's agent-led shit. It's not going to happen. I love Ross Stewart. What I want to happen is for him to come back, get fit, score goals, Sign a three-year deal, stay injury-free, and be a Sunderland legend. That's what I want to happen. But as I said before, you just have to plan for life without him at the minute. I would basically class him as not here for the time being. And just we need to go out and sign two strikers who are going to be able to contribute. Because if we want to be serious players this season, we can't be sitting around waiting for injured players to get back fit, gambling. That's what Sunderland would have done years back. Not now. We're not going to do it. You know, the rumours are that over in America, Mowbray and Speakman were telling people that they've got the money to sign a striker. They've got they've got enough money to go out there and sign a big striker. So it's not like we're just looking for backup players. We're looking for a we're looking for a first choice striker. And fingers crossed, we get the we get the players in that we need. Um, might as well move on a little bit from from transfers and stuff. Quickly touch on the contracts. Actually, Dennis Serkin, Trey Hume. Um, we mentioned Chris Rigg before as one of the players who signed a deal. Good, isn't it, that we're managing to tie these players down? I think Serkin was, in particular, he's one I've been worried about because I think there's a, you know, there's, he's going to be, if he has a good season this year and he stays injury-free, he's a he's got a prem, big Premier League move in him, I think. Um, and, and that getting him signed up to a new deal is the difference between him leaving for like, you know, six or seven million and maybe leaving for 20 million. That's how, that's how good I think he can be. Yeah. So it's it's great to get those two players tied down in particular, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, I had a. I've got a mate who's a who's a big Spurs fan who, uh, when he was seeing clips of uh, Cirkin playing last season, I think it was after the goal he scored at West Brom. I think uh, towards the end of the season, scored two, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, got a got a message off from saying, "Can we have him back?" But uh, but yeah, he he was actually gutted that that uh, he left Spurs in the first place because he was it, a lot of fans loved Cirkin and thought he was going to come through and uh, play loads of games for them. But uh, but yeah, cracking that we we nailed him down because that that competition at left back with him and Elise here, I mean, either one of them two, you know, we're talking about those two as options at left back. Either either of those two would walk into any side in the championship as their first choice fullback. And we've got them fighting it out on the left. And and talking about Elise as well, I think you might have mentioned it earlier, but I can see him slowly moving into being a centre-half as he kind of starts progressing, I think he he looks like a centre half. I think, I think, I think in the back three, I would I would agree. Yeah. I think if we're gonna and we did flip the dinner between playing sort of a a hybrid three that sometimes turned into a four yeah. or a five, and I can see him playing as a left sided centre half in that system who covers fullback as well as an out and out centre half. I'm not I'm not convinced at the minute, but you can play there. Yeah, yeah, no, I th- no, but like I said, over the next year or two, I can see Elise turning into a a proper centre-half and kind of progressing in, in kind of development like that. But, uh, but yeah, cracking for Sergan. I'm, I'm, I'm chuffed we've got him nailed down to 2026. That's three years we've got him nailed down. I was pleased for Trey Hume um, because you can you can imagine he came over, we bought him from the Irish League, probably bought... On about a tenner a week. Uh, he bought, bought him. <laughs> we got, we got, him, uh, got him for next and out. And he, he, probably, he was probably pay, playing for that contract last season. Yeah, yeah. It, by the end of the season, he was one of the first names on the team sheet, and I hope uh, I hope he got a a good uh, decent pay rise, which I'm sure he did. Uh, so it, we've got him nailed down for for four years. So that that was cracking, and then the big one, Chris Rigg, because um, yeah, he could have he could have done one um, quite easily. I think I think loads of clubs are after him, but but again, it's it's this conversation. You know, going back to what we were mentioning earlier on about the pathway, sixteen year old. Which was mentioned earlier on, he hasn't signed a contract to sit to sit on the bench and be kind of to sit in the under twenty ones. He's been he's been told, look, there's the pathway. If you keep working hard, doing what you're doing, you'll get first team games. So the, these players are not signing contracts because you know just for the love of their club, or you know the the now loving Sunderland or anything like that. I'm sure they're enjoying themselves, but they've got they've got faith in in the people who are running the club. So they've got faith in yeah. where the club's going, that they're going to play games, and that you know young players are going to get the chance. So, so it's all good, and it, it's all good signs. All of this is good signs that the negotiations, the talks going on behind the scenes, that these young players trust us to carry them on. Yeah, and speaking of young players getting that chance, we might segue us nicely into the into the games we've already played in pre-season. Two games in one day, like I said earlier, South Shields and Gateshead. That first uh, weekend, I went to both games. Was at the Shields game sort of stood pitch side, everyone's drinking, everyone's having a good time, nice atmosphere, played, you know, Samedo up front, Hamia, who who got a goal in that game, Clark got two, went behind, so there's a bit of excitement, it was back and forth, you know, and then you look to the, you look at the squad and, we, you know, we started Ben Crompton, centre-half, who nobody's seen yet, and he looked good, from the hour mark onwards, it was just a, a constant barrage of young players coming off the bench. Adam Richardson, who's one one player that they've got high hopes for, a goalkeeper, he came on, did really well. Connor Pye came out left back. Uh, you know, there's, there's a bunch of names here. You know, uh, Trey Ogasunyi, he hit the he hit the post in that game. Big lad, looks like he can handle himself. Michael Spellman playing in both games that day. 
Timur Tutorov, the Ukrainian forward who we signed towards the end of the season, uh, played his part in both them games too. But Chris Rigg, as we mentioned before, he he came on around the, the hour mark at Shields and ended up with netting the winner. And, I, I mean, when, when there's so much hype around a player, you want them to deliver, don't you? And I don't know if you heard him, and the game will come on the San Antonio game, but I don't know, I don't know if you heard his interview after that game. But it wasn't like listening to a 16-year-old lad. It was like a 25-year-old who's played 200 games and knows their way around the block. He, he He's full of confidence. He's full of himself. But you would be if you're 16-year-old and everyone's telling you how great you are. And then you're going out there after signing the contract and scoring goals for Sunderland. I mean, I'm really excited about him, if I'm honest. And and yeah, that, that Shields game, to me, that, that's exactly what you want from that first pre-season game where it's, you know... People make mistakes. I mean, Luke 09 made a couple in that game. But, you know, you saw goals, you saw excitement, you saw plenty of young players doing their bit. It was it was good, wasn't it? I, I quite I quite like the way they've structured this preseason. You know, they had they had a couple of weeks preseason training on the, at the academy, just locked themselves away for a couple of weeks, got back on the training pitch, and then after two weeks, had two games in one day, all of you know, which meant, you know, like you said, splitting the squad up like that. It meant there was a load of... Instead of changing everyone at all... If, if we'd had one game, you would have changed all of the 11 at half time, and then you would have only had kind of 45 minutes under their belt. And I know it doesn't sound like much, but because of the way we did it over the two games, most of the first-team players got an hour, 75 minutes under their belt. So they almost got a full mm-hmm. game straight off the bat. And then it allowed this whole kind of list of young players to come on. I mean, some of them... Some of them did a, I don't know how they did it in the traffic mind, but some of them did a bunk from Shields uh, to Gateshead to play in both games. I know some people got stuck in traffic, so <laughs> I don't know if the club got a helicopter sorted or something like that for them. But... I killed David, sorted the job <laughs> for the youngins, wasn't he? But they managed to get across pretty, pretty quick and uh, they, they played in both games. But I mean, that that's what was good about it. You know, some of these young kids got to play in two games. I mean, albeit kind of 15, 20 minutes, but... It's it's kind of all just good experience of, of playing in games and playing two local sides obviously meant like people like yourself could go on the lash and remember nothing about the game. Um, <laughs> but apart from that, it was it was two teams who were up for it. You know, Shield. It was Julio Arca's first game at Shields, so they were. It was his first home game. Sorry, I think that they played one away yeah. at Newton near Cliff. I think it was, but it was his first home game as manager. Obviously, Sun Sunderland Links and all that sort of stuff, but. The two games, and obviously we're just talking about the Shields game, but that one and the Gateshead one, it had a good bite to it, and not you know it didn't have a it didn't have like a nasty nastiness about it. It had a good bite where it felt more than that walking pace preseason that you that you sometimes get used to, and games are just a bit slow and pedestrian, and the players don't get much out of it. This kicked off our preseason with two games that the tempo was quite high. Gateshead and Shields wanted it. They gave us, you know, the, we went behind in both games and we had to step it up. So I, th- I thought yeah. I thought it was a really good way of doing it because obviously then, you know, a few days later, the lads jetted off to the US to do the three games over there. So I think it was a really good preparation. Two weeks on the training ground in, into those two games. And, and like you said, you know, the likes of Ben Crompton starting a game, which he wouldn't have done, you know, if, if we only had one friendly before we went away, we flew off to... Um, the US so you know gave these lads a chance and like you said that uh, Ogunsi or whatever I'm not sure if I got it right or you got it right but he, he looked he looked really good when he came on a sub the other lad I don't know whether I'm pronouncing this right but is it is it just Pi the fullback who came on 
Yes. At left back. On a pie. He looked good. Um and I like the he look. Did. He did. He was he was one of the ones when I was stood there who stood out straight yeah. away. Yeah. yeah. And uh Spellman, Michael Spellman as well. I thought he, he looked good. But the the thing was all of the young lads, you thought, oh yeah, he's got he's got a good touch. Most of them just looked yeah. like they they felt comfortable on the ball, and none of them looked like the you know day in the headlights. So yeah, good signs from a lot of them, and 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 I think the way we did that allowed them to do that. Yeah, like I say, I mean, I mentioned before about them splitting the squads. Quickly run through it: Patterson in goal, Gooch right back, Crompton and 9 as the centre halves. Ellis Taylor played left back. Matetti and Ekwell were the centre midfield players, uh, Abdullah Bar just ahead of them, Clark, Lee Hadji and Semedo as the front three. And then if you go to the Gateshead game, it was a completely different eleven. Bass in goal, Hume right back, Anderson left back, Ballard and Zach Johnson centre half. Huggins sort of played in midfield but was drifting over to the left when he was needed. Uh, Dan Neal was in the middle, Joby Bellingham, Alex Pritchard played as a false nine. Uh, Patrick Roberts played wide and and Joey Bennett, you know. So you, that and that was with us missing Triantis, Sealed, Serkin, and Danny Bart, who all went on the on the US tour, and we still fielded two completely different elevens. Like I say, if 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 um if two of the the centre halves I just mentioned had been fit, maybe Johnson and Crompton wouldn't have played. But I'm glad that they did because in both games they both were arguably man of the match. You know, I mean. You know, if it wasn't for, for Clark in that Shields game scoring the goals, you'd probably be looking at Crompton thinking he was maybe man the match. Johnson in the in the Gateshead game, the same, never put a foot wrong. He, he actually lasted till the 78th minute yeah. before he came off. So, you know, I, I just think we've got a strong squad. That I, I, You know, mentioned about the Shields game, they gave us a good game, uh, plenty of goals. The atmosphere in the Shields game to me was a lot better. It was just, I, I, you know, if I was gonna spend me Saturday watching a game of non-league football I wouldn't be going to Gateshead I'd probably be going to Shields because at Shields <laughs> you're on top of the pitch like I say there's bars on every corner of the ground you can stand and have a pint food's reasonably priced Um, there's a real family atmosphere about the place it feels like you're at a proper football club Gateshead Jesus right you know you walk into the place and it I mean I know it's an athletic stadium but there's that big track around the pitch which puts you about 100 yards from the pitch um, there's no there's no coverage on the stand, so you you're just getting pissed on when it's raining, which is what happened to me, and that's why I left early. There was one bar, and I couldn't even call it a bar really. It was a trestle table in the field with a bunch of cans on it, um, a few ice cream vans, and that was about it. And yeah, just not a good place to go and watch football. But in terms of the game, and that was the important thing, it was a bigger pitch I think than Shields. It looked it looked bigger, which suited us because it made us. You know, it allowed us to stretch the play and move the ball around, do you know what our players like to do? I think we it's it's quite nice in preseason games to go behind because it means you're fighting for something and, and you know players naturally are competitive. It doesn't matter that it's a preseason game; they want to win everything. You know, if it's a game of five aside and training or a game of tiddlywinks or cards on the on the bus, they're gonna want to win. So if you're a Sunderland player and you're getting beat two 0 your pride's hurting a bit and you want to get back into it, and that made it exciting for everybody watching. Um, Dan Neal scored it was a brilliant goal that was like pretty much every goal we scored last season where it was just pass 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 flick great ball across the box Neal finishes it off Joe Bellingham in that move lovely little flick to Pritchard to set the set the, the ball away Huggins got himself a goal and you know he had to fight for it and like I say he played in the middle it was nice probably nice for him just to to get his foot on the ball and get a goal and show he's around 
And then the winner was Michael Spellman, who who's finished a move off after I think it got spilled in the box. But he just played in that Shields game, like I say. So he's he's played in the um in in the home kit, I think, in the in the first game, and uh, hot footed it over from the ground over to Gateshead, changed into the away strip, came on in that game and and had an impact. Like I say, as far as it, as far as first days of preseason go in terms of games. I think that's about as good as it could have went. Competitive games, played at a decent pace, not really at friendly pace. Everybody got the minutes they needed. We got to see some young players, and we won. Importantly, and we won. Yeah. Happy days. Yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting because, like you said, with, with, even with the the kind of the different personnel, the fact that Mowbray wanted to play two systems, as I think you touched on earlier on. You know, it was like kind of like four at the back against Shields, but it was this kind of. Kind of fluid three at the back, um, at Gateshead, and we talked about the amount of centre halves we've got for next season. I mean, if you if you throw Alisi into the mix in the in the middle, you know you've got Ballard or nine, Triantis, Sealt, Bart, Anderson, Alisi. That's seven players you could realistically play at, at centre half. So you wouldn't be surprised if we went at times with a back three next season because we've got the. We got the place to do it, but yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting to see that, and obviously the first chance we'd we'd had to see the Dan Neil and um, Bellingham kind of pair in a midfield, but because Hamia played in the Shields game, it meant we went with Gateshead and we played without a striker, and like you said, that Pritchard played that kind of false nine, um, and we went two 0 down after thirty minutes, and we looked we looked a bit of a mess to be honest. We had the times where Dan Neil and Bellingham looked up, and there was just nothing ahead, and I think. <laughs> if Mowbray wanted to go to the, you know Speakman or whoever and provide evidence that we need backup strikers or more than one striker, I mean that's the perfect example. Just go look, you know, we've got we haven't got other players who can kind of stretch teams and would just look lost. And I think uh, I think Pritchard swapped a bit and went out wide, but yeah, it, it was good. It, you could see things like that even in the the opening friendlies. But yeah, uh, Zach Johnson, like you said, was fantastic at the back. <laughs> Bass was. Undoubtedly disappointed with the first two goals. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, you know, I think but... I think if they were wondering whether to let him go yeah. or not, I'd probably decided. Yeah, it. yeah, but uh, but yeah, it was a good run out, and that that game did have bite because actually the the Gateshead fans made it pretty clear that they wanted their side to do a job on us, and and the Gateshead players actually responded, and they made it they made it a really good game because I think I think it was their second goal was a cracker. Um, although you know maybe Bass should have saved it, but it was a good goal. Spellman and Thompson look good as well. Spellman got the goal, but yeah, it was another good test. Um, but it'll be, it'll be. I was looking at the systems, and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what route he goes down. And the big one I'll be looking at is going to be the Maloka friendly or a week before yeah, the yeah. Ipswich game. That's going to be the one where we'll see. You know, is he playing? Because I can't. You know, if, if he's going to line up against Ipswich, playing four at the back. He's not going to play a fluid three against Malaga. He's not going to kind of switch it up in a week. He's gonna he's gonna play that system in that last home friendly that he's gonna turn out with Ipswich. So I'll I'll be looking at that friendly, you know, looking at what system we're playing, looking at like what partnerships we're setting up, what kind of patterns of play we're starting with. Um so that's when it'll come in. But with him kind of going between the two at the minute, it'll be interesting what he goes with. Yeah, and then we jetted off to uh, to America, and the lads have spent the last sort of week or week and a bit um, out there in the searing Texas heat. I think it's been going over 40 degrees some days. Um, you can't imagine what that's like to try and play football in. And going into the San Antonio game, I was really worried 
about just how the the heat would affect us. I was sitting there thinking, oh, I don't want us to get embarrassed and everybody to lose their shit over a preseason friendly because it would have happened, you know, playing against the team who San Antonio are doing really well. I think the second in their division, middle of the season um, as well, so they're fit. Middle middle of the season, so they're fit exactly, and we aren't. Obviously, we're in preseason. We're going out there in their conditions, playing on their pitch. Um, there was a real chance that we could have got got beaten in this game and what we saw I mean I, I I don't know if you stayed up I don't think you did I was stupid enough to do it um and I'm glad my time wasn't wasted if I'm honest because it was a brilliant game a, a little bit more so than the than the first two games this was played at proper pace like it was like watching a proper game at no point was I watching the game and thinking oh it's just another friendly we're knocking it round they're knocking it round you know it never felt like that we 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 knew we were flipping the team at half time, so every player played that first half like it was a ninety minute game. And when we when we lost the ball, we were trying our hardest to get it back. When we had the ball, San Antonio were pressing the hell out of us. And it just made for a really good game. And it meant that it meant that there was some good goals, there was some good football. I d I don't know what it is about these first three games, and I'm interested to see how the rest of preseason progresses from yeah. But we are playing these games like proper games to a degree. We're very competitive. And I was thinking about this earlier, and I wonder how much the fact that we've basically got two teams plus spares, mm. like there's players who went out there who never played in that game. Circa never played, Young never played, Zach Johnson never played, Seals never played, Pritchard never played. So none of those players got on the pitch. And I just wonder if every player right now is looking at it and thinking nobody's position in this team, apart from probably Patterson, is safe. We're all competing for the for the chance to play at the start of the season. And to me, if you're Niall Huggins, if you're Dan Ballard, if you're Joe Bellingham, if you're Chris Rigg, if you're Abdullah Bar, those type of players, you're you're looking at these games and thinking, I've got to play well. I've got to show the manager why he needs to pick me. And I know that, yes, ultimately pre-season is about fitness and about just getting the standard set in place ready for the season starting. But because we've got so many options, it's actually created this really healthy competitive environment in the games. Mm. And that's what we saw at San Antonio because had we got beat, people would have been looking, rightly or wrongly, people would have been looking at the mistakes made and who didn't play very well. And it will, that, that smell sticks around for a little bit. And if you're a player, you don't want that. You want, you want nobody pointing the finger at you and saying you shouldn't be starting the season. You want to be given fans and management and coaches reason to believe that you're good enough to start games. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, there's only there's only Hamir and and Patterson really at the minute who are already. Yeah, I mean, as, as things stand, they're the only two who've got their names down on that starting eleven for Ipswich. So, other than that, honestly, you you could any player. I mean, I think probably obviously, I think maybe Sirkin with Elise being injured, maybe, but but other than that, you're looking around the the team thinking. Anybody, anybody who impresses in preseason can can force their way in, and I think Mowbray is that type of manager. He's he's he doesn't seem the type to you know to, to kind of not look at someone's form and how they're playing. I think if he sees someone in form, he's he's saying, well, yeah, you deserve a chance. I think he's he's that sort of character that it rewards someone like that, and mm-hmm. and, and you can see that the, the players are really pushing it. And it was interesting in the game to see. I wasn't. I wasn't actually expecting to see Dan Neil, Bellingham, and Chris Rigg in the same team in the same starting eleven. I thought it was quite. It was quite good to see all all them three because, yeah, possibly you know in some some ways the the kind of three biggest potential 
terms of their age and everything at the at the club, um, it would go on to big things. And I wasn't quite expecting them to, to be in the same eleven. So that was interesting. Equa was was really good when he came on. Oh, he was immense. He was immense. Equa. Just got to mention him. Uh, I, again, I don't want to get too over the top about preseason games, but Equa looked like head and shoulders above every player on the pitch. The way like the ball was coming into him and there was lads around him and he was just turning and moving and getting away. Uh, he's going to be some player, like yeah, and he he, look, he looks fantastic. And Hamia was the other one because I, I just like I, I just like the look of him. And, and what I was really glad, actually, just quickly going back to the Shields game, was that I mean it wasn't you know it wasn't the kind of greatest of goals, but the fact he just got a goal because I don't even in pre season for a new striker, if it had gone on three games, four games, five games, and he hadn't scored and he played in all the games. He, he would have just thought, he would have just been desperate for a goal. But because he got one in that Shields game, it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter where it came off his backside or the back of his head or or whatever, as long as he got on the the, the, the score sheet. And I think that, that just settled him down because, yeah, I, I just think he's just got a nice touch about him. I just like his touch on the ball. I just think he's he looks good and I think he looks looks clever for his age. Um, And I like the look of him. So... Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him in more games and, you know, the fact that we haven't got another striker, I don't know, I, I, I can't see what else we're going to do. <laughs> but, you know, maybe Thompson or Spellman might get more games, but we'll have to wait and see. But, uh, but yeah, I like the look of him. Are you not giving him that one in the San Antonio game? Yes. See, I've saw the replay back a few times and, and I, you can't really tell, but, so I think you should have it well, just it's, for that reason. It's pre-season, just give him it, who cares? He's got yeah, it, two goals. Yeah. I mean, in his head... He'll be, he'll be claiming it, he, oh, ran, he ran away and celebrated uh, exactly. that he'd scored it. In his head, he's got he's already got two goals in two games, hasn't he? He's away yeah. in his head, so that's all that matters. <laughs> I didn't care what anyone exactly. else is. But uh, the, other thing, the other thing I really liked was Bennett. You know, we, yeah. we've talked about him hugging the touchline on the left. And sometimes, sometimes that that seems like he's like he's safe place, like he just wants to be on that touchline on the left hand side. He wants to go down and beat a man, and I just love the way he cut inside from the right, and to score that goal, he cut in from the right, and then I mean what a finish right in the bottom corner, cracking goal. Mm. But it was just nice to see him do something different and be something different. And you can, I imagine, because look, I mean. I'm certainly no expert, but you know you can imagine at the club that they're trying to they're trying to add more things to Bennett's game, like and stop him from just being this out and out winger that only does one thing and beat a man down the line and get the ball in. You know you can almost tell him, look, you're very good at that, so you've got that in your back pocket. Let's do other things. And it was nice to see him get the ball, run a players from a different angle, from the opposite side, cutting in on his left, and then doing some having an end product. And 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 you know you you listed off a load of players that you know you know potentially could make uh could make a mark this season and he's one of them and especially if we we do different things with him and not just say you're a left winger and do that um yeah so yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see we'll see what positions he gets uh, put in for the rest of preseason we've seen with him as well in in the couple of games he's played in playing through the middle off the last man a little bit I I can see that potentially as you know. Later in games, if we need a bit of pacing behind, if we're under the cosh, he can be devastating because he's so quick. Mm. I mean, he demonstrated it in that goal, yeah. you know, and it wasn't just him running onto a ball or whatever. He actually made the goal for himself. He carried it. He he sent defenders out of position and then and then finished it really, really well. But I, I think 
you know, long term with Dewey, there's a potential he could play through the middle. And I know it's been hinted at, and I know he's played, he's played up front for his country, and he's he's going to take some coaching because obviously he's a kid. You know, you kind of just expect him to go there and and be a striker. And physically, you look at him and you think, well, he's maybe not. But if you sign a a centre forward, or even you know, you look at someone like Semedo, him here, and and maybe there's there's a point in the game where you think we could do with someone around him just to just to vary it up, just to give defender something to think about. I wouldn't think twice about pushing Dewey through the middle and just pairing him with somebody and 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 maybe giving that that other team something to think about because he's got pace in abundance. He's tricky. He, you know, if he can time his runs well, he, he could be devastating them behind. No, that that's a good shout. That I mean, you'd want him to beef up a bit more, but if you told him to play off a big lad and say, you know, just say right, stay within ten fifteen yards radius of him. Anything that bounces off him is yours, and you know you can pounce on it. Um, it, it it might be an option, but the the best thing about his kind of run and go, it was quite early on in his run. He actually knocked, he did a crack and touch inside with his right foot, and he kind of took the defender out with his with a touch from his right foot, and it was good to see because last season he did look too desperate to get everything on his left foot, and it was nice to see him make that run and big plays with with kind of both feet, but. But yeah, I mean, like I said, if we beef him up, he could be an option up top. But in in that finish, you know, if he gets half a chance on the edge of the box or in and around, he's he's obviously got the confidence to stick one away because that, that was a cracking finish. I love I loved I loved that third goal. Hmm. Well, I think we should probably end off with a bit of a negative, but we've got to mention it. I did mention it in my rundown at the start <laughs> about the off the pitch stuff, and like I say, we've we've. Basically sat here and just creamed ourselves over how great everything is for the last hour or so. Um, but but yeah, I mean, we, we can't sort of talk about the off-season without talking about the off-the-pitch stuff, really. I know it was great news that Stuart Donald had finally gone and that we'd, we'd seen the share change again. KLD and Sartori taking his shares off, off him. Now we have two members in that ownership group. Great. This is aside from that, you know, the digital ticketing issue, which is still lingering as we record this, has been a real sore point for me. Anybody who reads our website will have seen now for weeks and weeks and weeks, we've been inundated with emails from really frustrated fans who just don't feel like they're getting anywhere, don't feel like they're being listened to by the club. I mean, a variety of issues around ticketing and all the rest of it, just not being able to get through to anybody on the phone lines, not getting their emails answered, the season rapidly approaching and people still not having answers to their questions it does it does leave a, a sour taste in your mouth doesn't it i mean because of the sheer amount of complaints around the digital ticketing system the club have been forced to act but it's only because fans have complained about it the blc and the red and white army then had a meeting with the club and the club half announced i, I say half announced because a message was pushed out through them groups and they really only communicate through social media plus chris Watt has put a message out on twitter Unless you follow Chris and you've seen that message, you're probably not going to know this, but there is the option for fans to have a physical ticket. But it seems to me they're just making it as difficult as possible and they don't really want this information to get out there so that they don't have a you know, a swarm of thousands of people queuing for, for the one the plastic tickets rather than using the digital system. It just doesn't feel like it's been handled very well. Customer service has been terrible. And just to add to that before I bring you in on this, the kit release stuff, it took ages for the kits to actually be released. 
The club had announced that they'd signed a new deal with Just Sport, who they've used for a few years now since we took Nike on, basically. Just Sport have been the, the kit supplier, and they're a local company based in Spennymoor. And re- every year we we just don't seem set up right for the summer. And it, you just, people say, why are you bothered? The, I'm bothered because this is money the club aren't making that they could be making. You know, if the kits were released earlier, the kits had been out for Father's Day, they would have they would have made an absolute fortune on kits, and they weren't. As we sit here right now, the away kits are out. From what I've heard, a lot of the stock's already gone and sold out, and the club shop are telling fans who are asking about it, it's the things like the shorts and stuff, they're being told they don't know when they're going to get another batch of, of supply in. The home kit isn't even out till the end of the month for some reason. And again, reports we've heard from people who've asked at the club shop have been from the staff saying they aren't confident that the club are even going to have the kits in time for the release date. I mean, I hope they do, but that's like, what, a week before the season starts? None of this is good enough for a club the size of ours. None of it. it it's Mickey Mouse. People say it's non-league. Non-league clubs don't even do this. I know... You know, who just been to South Shields. I've seen their club shop on the uh, on the day of the game. It's fantastic. Stock out full of kits. Never going to run out of stock there. And you look at us and you just think, why is it we always get the little things wrong? The customer service, the the bits that should be really, really easy, we get wrong. It, it frustrates us so much, Chris, because we get, like I say, we've got a platform for people to put their word out there. People get in touch with us because they feel like they've got no other option. They've already been down the route of ringing the club, of emailing the club repeatedly and not having their questions answered. So they're then forced to come to a fan group who they hope might be able to help them. And how many people aren't getting the help? That's the other thing. The, the people who don't go on social media, the people who don't read our website and read the fan letters and see the tweets that the, the likes of Chris and the BLC and Red and White Army have put out. What about those people? Like, it just isn't good enough, is it? Gav, I mean, I'd, I'd honestly don't know where to start with this. It, I mean, you've you've already said a lot, but as good as we are on the pitch, we're as bad off it. I mean, it's just it's an absolute shambles off the pitch. What I don't get about it, and and I completely understand the club wanting to go digital. That is a completely legitimate target for the club to do to go digital. That's fine, but. Make a big thing of it from the club's point of view to say, right, we're going to go digital and we're going to have a two-year plan or we're going to have a three-year plan. So let's say by 2025, the club will be digital. And in the first year, they get people to, to do it voluntarily. So that will take up the first, let's say, 30 to 40%. And then in the second year, you have dialogue with the with that kind of 60 70% and say, right, what are the roadblocks? What's What's stopping you? How can we help you? Right. And then you've got a 12 months grace period to help the people across who haven't gone digital and to have plans in place and to help them along instead of just saying, no, stuff you. We're going digital. We don't care if you haven't bothered. We don't care if you've got problems with doing it. We don't care if it, you know, you've got elderly parents who are struggling to use or don't have a phone and they've got to use yours. Just on that, Chris, the advice they pushed out was to, if you read it, the the bit that the, the the club put out on the website was you, you if you if you haven't got access to email or a smartphone, yeah. you need to get a relative to do it for you. In fact, it said if you don't have a smartphone, you you need to email your ticket to a friend or whatever. I think well, if what's the likelihood you've got email if you if you don't have a smartphone? It's yeah. just 
absurd, but, really. But it's it should be common sense to do it over a couple of years and to help people, not to just cut it off and say from this date we're going to go and we don't really we don't really give a shit of whether you're ready or not. And to, 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 we're not even going to help these people, or to even say right we're going to put a dedicated team in the place who are on the phones for eight hours a day. Give them a ring. They'll help you out. They'll they'll do this, or we'll you know you can come in to see them and they'll help you out and they'll work it out if you can't work it or or whatever it's going to be. But then to have a meeting with the BLC and Red and White Army, and I mean I'm still confused why that meeting wasn't announced before they had the meeting because there was no there didn't seem to be any word of it before the meeting that the, that that was going to take place, so people couldn't get in touch with specific grievances. But that I mean that meeting happened. But then after that. If I go, if I went on the club website right now, there's absolutely nothing about getting physical cards. Or there nothing? certainly wasn't. Yeah, when I, so as far as the club's communications concerned, like you're going from a third party, so you're taking the and, and don't get us wrong, perfectly. You know, I'm sure that the Red and Right Army and and BLC and people who've put that out are, are absolutely, you know, one hundred percent correct in what they're putting out. But it shouldn't. It, the communication shouldn't be coming from them. They should be forwarding official communication from the club who says this is an option i mean what business runs like that where they say oh there's an alternative but they don't advertise it i mean what business runs like that and gets people to put it out yeah i mean it's an absolute disgrace and the other thing is as you said the people who've got these problems like they're not going to be going on the website they're not going to be following the bail say or red and white army online on, on twitter on the socials needs a letter to fans or you know something that goes out to all fans to say this is the situation and talking about customer service customer service from any organization is communicating to people how much you give a shit and the levels of customer service that the club are providing fans at the minute tells everybody loud and clear that they do not give a shit they're, they're plowing on with this. They haven't spoken to people properly. They haven't rolled it out. They haven't had a plan. They've just said it's happening, so stuff you. People have sent emails. I mean, there's, you've got you've got people with disabilities, mobility issues, and we've had letters from these these people who are just desperate because they've paid good money. They've paid for a season ticket and they've paid for a car parking space for the whole season, which is which comes at a more than I thought it was. It comes at a blue. People have paid like five five six hundred quid for a season ticket plus a car park for the season. And they've had not one email or shred of communication to tell them how to use it, how, you know, where they need to park. They were told when they bought it that they were going to be told about these things. They've been emailing the club frantically, trying to get information. They can't get through on the phones. And they're what, we're, we're two weeks out and they still haven't got this information? I mean, honestly, the way the club is run off the pitch is an absolute joke. And if for anybody who's at the top of that club who thinks that this is this is uh, you know people who are doing that job are doing a good job are deluded because i don't i don't get how they think everything's kind of rosy in the world of sunderland off the pitch i mean forget about i mean the retail's bad enough that's a complete mess but talking about the you know fans who need help who all they want to do is spend money with the club and support the club and the club aren't giving them any sort of you know any sort of communication about how to go about using their products that they've actually sold them. I mean, honestly, the way they're treating people, I think, is an absolute disgrace. Oh, bang on, mate. You've, you've got it absolutely spot on. I mean, for instance, right, I'm, I'm a season ticket holder. I don't think I've had anything about anything back about my season ticket since it was renewed. I got an email saying it was going to be auto-renewed, which I'll, I'll let happen, you know. I've had two payments come out. 
I've had nothing. I've had absolutely nothing. In the past, you used to get letters through the door. You used to get a booklet, a renewal booklet. You know, on the back of your renewing your season ticket, they used to even used to get a thanks, actually. You know, for, for committing your money to the club, you used to get a bit of a thanks. You used to you, even sort of going back 20 or so years, you used to get a mm -hmm. gift from the club shop as a way of saying thank you, like a gesture. You, and I'm not saying they should be given as presents or whatever. I'm not asked about that. I'm just saying, like, you've got it bang on there. It shows you care when you actually show people you care. And to me, it just feels as though, I tell you what, you know what the problem is. They're still understaffed. They're still letting people run the show behind the scenes who aren't capable of it and for whatever reason are being more autonomy to do whatever they want. And I actually think a big part of the problem is is that deep down they know the issue is only affecting a minority of people, particularly the, the ticketing thing, right? Out of 30-odd thousand season ticket holders, you've probably only got a thousand people maybe who it might affect. To them, that's a minority, and what they're saying is, is well, well, it's not really that big an issue. It's not that big an issue. But it is an issue. Even if it was two people, it's an issue. That has to be dealt with swiftly, effectively. To me, if I've got a problem with my ticket, I should feel confident that I can ring the ticket office and get it sorted. There's no, no confidence. No. There's none whatsoever. And you, you mentioned direct debits coming out. Payments already come out for season tickets. The, yeah, yeah. We, two, two yeah. I've had out, I think. But we've, yeah. we've had letters from people who said they've bought a season ticket and either no payments have come out or they've paid for two season tickets and only one payment have come out. They're not sure if they've got two season tickets. They're trying to get in touch with the club. The club's telling them absolutely nothing and automated response is coming back. I mean, again, who, who treats people like this? And the other thing is the way, the way they've done things, especially with this digital kind of moving and everything being digital – the way they've done it has actually put people off. If they'd done it for, like I said, over the course of, say, two years, people would have actually made an effort and said, okay, well, they're going digital in two years, so actually I'll give it a go. I'll try it. But actually the way they've yeah. done it, it's put people's backs up so much that people now, even if they can do it digitally, some of them are thinking, oh, well, sod them. I'm going to go and get a physical ticket just because the club have been an arse. Yeah, well, Craig was saying to us the other day, you know, he takes his bends to the match. Is he going to have to like pass his phone through the <laughs> yeah. turnstile so yeah. they can get in? Because little kids haven't got smartphones. Like, just really badly thought out. You know, nothing has been clearly communicated. You know, if they came out with like a, a video, this is how it's going to work, yeah. showing somebody using the system, blah, 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 plenty weeks in advance, that would help. There's been none of that, none whatsoever. I just, I don't get it. We've barely talked about the kits. I mean, you mentioned it before. The retail thing is a what? is another thing entirely. As we record this, the away kit was released five days ago. They're already selling out of stock and have no nothing coming in. Apparently, uh, like, how, how is that? Uh, how how is that the right way to do things? Makes no sense. I went onto the website to try and uh, see if they had any baby kits for my little girl that don't even ha have anything listed. Like twenty odd year ago, I remember you you could get a kit in all sizes and what it. Just something you just expect. If I want to go into the club shop, there you go, that's what I want. Put it down at the counter, get it. If I want to do it online, same thing. No confidence. It's my son's birthday in the over the summer, and it's it's the second year in a row where I haven't been able to get him a sun on top for his, for his birthday. And, you know, he's like, that, that's one of the things he wants, but I, I can't get him one. And it's just, it's just yeah, ridiculous. And, like the, and I'm, you know, we're talking about two people just here. 
and we want to spend money with the club. We're, we're saying, you know, we'll give you our money. <laughs> we want to spend money. Yeah, with yeah. I mean, I, I want to buy a kid. I'd, you. I'd go on for his birthday and spend an ab- absolute fortune, but it's all, well, it's either all crap or what I want is <laughs> the kids aren't available. And I'm desperate to spend money with a club. And there's only two people, There's you know, there's a 100% ratio on this podcast. But how many people are out there are desperate to spend money with a club? And, I mean, talking about the kits, this has happened for the last two or three years where there hasn't been enough kits on sale. I mean, so why why are you repeating the same mistakes that happen year after year? And, I mean, surely somewhere along the line, the data tells you that, oh, we could have sold... 10,000 more, you know, just for an example, 10,000 more shirts last season because we just didn't have any in stock. <laughs> you know what I mean? Surely somewhere the data's mm-hmm. telling them that they need more kits, but they keep making the same mistakes. And, yeah. uh, I mean, we're, we're trying to decide, you know, and some of the chats we're having kind of offline, like, is it is it the club's fault? Are we not ordering enough? Is it the supplier's fault? But whoever's fault it is, they're just they're repeating exactly the same as what's happened for the last two seasons. I can't believe they haven't learned from it. Last year they were blaming supply chain issues, and that was affecting multiple clubs, and that's fair enough. They've had a year to put this right. Yeah. There's no supply chain issues now. Um, I've mentioned it before. Father's Day was on the 18th yeah. of June, and for the life of me, I can't understand why you wouldn't have your kits on sale before then, because we've just had a great season. The feeling's high. Everyone's feeling good. Everyone like. I live in a place where it's split, mm. Newcastle and Sunderland, and I'm sick of the sight of Newcastle shirts at the minute because because they're doing well. All the kids want to wear Newcastle tops, and they're freely available. They can go to their club shop and buy a Newcastle strip. You cannot do the same with Sunderland. And they don't realise how big an issue that is. If kids have got a choice, and their mum and dad are like, I want to take them to the football, um, well, I can't get a Sunderland top, I'll buy them a Newcastle one. Could be something as small as buying them a kit that decides the the path, the supporter path of that child for the rest of their life. And we're losing fans through pure negligence, in my opinion. And it might sound like I'm going over the top, but in a place that I live, I live in South Tyneside, it's half and half, There's, you know, and, and people have a choice. And I'm seeing Newcastle strips everywhere and I'm not seeing a sun strip anywhere. And that's because they're never on sale. When was the last time we actually had home strips on sale? If you even further back before that, when we went to Wembley last season, the season before last, you couldn't get a Sunderland top. So people were walking around in retro kits. They were walking around in kits they'd bought from, you know, third-party suppliers, like, you know, the ones who do all the retro kits, or, or, you know, who were not affiliated with the club at all. None of that money was going to the club. I know people now who have ordered Sunderland strips for this season off DHgate, which is a Chinese website, yeah which does kits that you can get for a fraction of the cost of what they cost to the club, who've said, the only reason I've done this is because I cannot get what I want from the club. I can't physically, they won't let me spend me money, so I'll just go and get it from somewhere else. And, and it's like, this is just lunacy. I mean, if this happens again next season, heads have got to roll at the club. Like whoever Whoever's making these mistakes year after year, if, ugh, they, they shouldn't be here because the cost and the, the the amount of money that must be costing the club through sheer negligence is baffling. Well, well I'm I'm down in Sheffield and I think it was only it was only like three weeks, two or three weeks after the season finished. Sheffield Wednesday came out with their new kit, you know, big sale. You know, get down to the mega store. It's all, all online. You can buy it online. Sheffield Wednesday, you know, and because 
my son plays for the lo- local footy team, went to training. All of the lads, pretty much all of the lads, the other lads, were all dressed up in the new Sheffield Wednesday kit. They came to training, they were all showing it off, going to each other, look at this. And then, you, you know, schools have broke up this week, so they're all heading off on holidays with their new Sheffield Wednesday kits and all this sort of stuff. Talking about Sunderland fans now, you know, schools breaking up and people flying off on holidays wanting... They would have spent, they would have gotten full kit for the bands, you know, that, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't go buy the full kit myself, but there's fellas who want, you know, to buy the Sun and Strip to go off on holidays. And that's, you know, all the bands off. This is when it starts. And the Sunderland haven't even got theirs on sale to buy for the bands to go on holiday. I mean, it's just, it's just, I don't understand. I just don't understand how a club can run like this. Like I said, they've only had a year to, to to sort it all out, and they've completely and utterly failed. And how they can how they can judge that anyone who's doing that is doing a good job is beyond me. Yeah, well, it's a shame to end on that, but um, we're going to. We've we've talked for long enough. We've tried to cram as much Club as we could into this. Yeah, yeah. We've got games coming up though. We've got Thursday two o'clock in the morning, New Mexico, and then we round off the US trip with a. Uh, game against North Carolina FC who play in the third tier, I think, in America. And then right before we go into the season, we've got Mallorca on the Saturday at the Stadium of Light. And there is a friendly against Hartlepool on the Tuesday, but I suspect that'll be a bunch of fringe players and kids who play in that game. So, you know, really we've probably got three games left. You know, that, that Hartlepool game, maybe the maybe the lad, some of the lads return from injury, they might get minutes in that one. But I'm, I am looking forward to the rest of the campaign. I hope the club sort out whatever's going on with this this shit with the kids, but I just can't see it. I hope the digital ticketing stuff gets sorted and addressed properly. But yeah, I mean, it's been a busy old podcast, Chris, so thanks very much for your time, as always. No worries, I'm knackered now. <laughs> just the listeners, we will be back, I'm sure, in the next week or two with more goodness for your ears, and we'll catch you there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.